0: Eldridge knows what it means to turn a moment of intense suffering into a creative opportunity for God's Spirit to work. In her latest book, The Inner Chapel, she applies Ignatian spirituality to the everyday struggles that we all face, and in so doing, she encounters God. Eldridge, an accomplished author and spiritual director and mother of three, shares with us her reflections on how the tools of St. Ignatius can be applied in our own time amidst the ongoing pandemic and the rebuilding That will ultimately take place. Whether we're feeling overwhelmed, lonely, or just uncertain, Eldridge reminds us that we can turn to God, enter into our own inner chapels, and find rest. If you're finding your prayer life to be a bit rocky these days, this episode and the reflections and stories that Becky shares are for you. I'm Eric Clayton. Welcome to AMDG. All right, well, here we are today with Becky Eldridge. Becky, thank you for joining us on the AMDG podcast.
1: Thank you, Eric, for having me on. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah, it's good to have you. And I want to start because I think this is a question that – it's been on my mind, certainly, as I wrestle with pandemic and, um, and, and the various demands of my time, parenting and working. And um, it, how, how have you been approaching prayer during these times? I know you're a parent. I know you're working. I know you're doing all sorts of things. How, how has your prayer changed uh, and how are you just approaching your prayer life during this, this time of pandemic and crisis?
1: Yeah, what a great question, because I think the pandemic has changed so many aspects of our life, um, including probably for many of us, our prayer routine. And I know for, for me, you know, typically my routine of prayer is getting up early in the morning before the kids get on the bus and, you know, get my nice little quiet in. And I'm still trying to do that. You know, I still set my alarm before my children get up. But one of the things I've even noticed is my place of prayer has changed. I use, mm. is normally I pray in my, a cha- like just a little chair in the corner of the house, which is in my office space, because I've always worked from home since I became a mom 13 years ago. And I was noticing I could not pray because I was spending so much time in these walls. And so one of the things that's changed for me is I've been going to my back porch to pray. And we've, I live in Louisiana. It's gorgeous down here. We've had a beautiful spring. And so even just, the the place of shifting outside to be more in nature, and you know so some of my prayer right now has been pondering God and creation, you know watching the birds, watching spring unfold, um, and I think that's one of the great things about Ignatius is Saint Ignatius's wisdom about prayer is he always says you know stay with a place, a posture, a time until it doesn't work anymore. And so I know even in my ministry of spiritual direction, a lot of my directees were talking about, you know, how, how is the spirit calling us to shift our prayer time, our prayer place, even our prayer method? Um, Because I think a time like a pandemic creates sometimes um, a real shift in the way we're called to be with God.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like that your, your your insight from from Ignatius's approach, right, that you stay with things until they're no longer useful to you. And it seems like such a, a good framing for the pandemic, almost a spiritual framing for, you know, we, we stay with things until... Um, the, the usefulness kind of wears out. I, I wonder as as you're having these conversations, because um, I'd love to hear how you're approaching spiritual direction in this time of pandemic, but as you're having these conversations with people, how are you helping them to make that transition, to recognize what's no longer working and then bring them um, to to something new that is, that is helpful and fruitful?
1: Yeah, well, and that's where the great wisdom of Ignatius is discernment of the spirits helps so much in general, right? Not just in the pandemic, but I would say in any any moment in life where there is something causing a change or a transition. And so, you know, when I start noticing in myself or another person, when I'm listening to them and I'm like, oh, wait, I hear some restlessness. I'm not hearing as much consolation in mm-hmm. them as maybe I once did. Maybe they're having a hard time settling into their stillness. I mean, and I can say this for myself, too. This is how I knew I needed to move my, my prayer place. It's then. Then it's we start going. Okay, what is the spirit calling us to, right? Or what is the spirit calling the other person to, and and so we begin looking for. Does the time need to shift, right? Has something in what's going on in the surroundings around the person, you know, um, shifting? Is there a prayer method that was really working for a long time that suddenly? you know, it seems to not be drawing the person deeper. Um, One, one prayer method, which again is a great Ignatian prayer tool we lean on all the time, but I find in times of a lot of change and shift is really helpful is the examine, because it gives, it's a structure, right? And I think sometimes when we're adjusting, so many things in life around us are shifting, like the pandemic has caused, there's so much uncertainty to kind of come to a prayer tool that very, kind of almost strategically and logically helps us move through our day and bring it to God can help us start to ground, right. And kind of come to that stillness. And so that's, that's one of the things I've been offering people a lot. I mean, and I found myself really drawn back to the daily, the daily practice of the examine.
0: I think that makes a lot of sense that I, you know, I think we've, we found ourselves with suddenly no structure at all. And so imposing a little structure is, um, It's helpful. I I wonder, um, you know, as you're talking about you're hearing in people's words, uh, you know, that that sense of desolation, that restlessness. I, I imagine that people sometimes have a hard time letting go of a, of a prayer routine or, or um, if I just dig in, dig in harder. Right. And, and it's going to, it's going to work. How, how do you first, how do you hear that, that desolation in their voice? What do you listen for? Um, Cause I imagine many of our listeners are probably experiencing something similar. So what do you listen for? And then how do you help people to let go of maybe a beloved prayer routine to find, to allow God to work in new ways?
1: Yeah, gosh, it's so true, because we want to cling to the familiar, Eric. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. We want even, and I mean, I could totally just rat myself out here. I like, I get so, I'm like, no, don't change my prayer routine too, (laughs) you know? Um, But I think what we'll hear in ourselves, and again, this is, I can speak from experience personally and, and also from listening, we'll start hearing ourselves saying, man, I'm having a hard time being still. Mm. Right. Or maybe our prayer just feels kind of like that monkey mind, like we're all over the place Um, or we might just kind of really find that, we're not, it's not as as rich of a prayer time. Like we find it's not really drawing us deeper. Um, and what and what I'll really hear in people, it starts sounding like restlessness, right? Mm-hmm. There, there's trouble settling into prayer. There's clearly it seems like the spirit's drawing them to a new a new way, a new place, and you'll start hearing it by what they begin talking about, right? So maybe they've been saying, Hey, I've been praying with the gospels. And then suddenly you start hearing them mention the Psalms, or you might hear this draw to just the prayer of the quiet right which i think is sometimes one of the most difficult transitions to make in prayer in our prayer lives is when we've kind of gone from a very active maybe imaginative prayer time for for months or even years to suddenly it's just like you and god like an old elderly married couple who's just content in silence being together you know so shifts like that are hard and i think what is comforting to me, and I often offer other people is to remember that the Holy Spirit guides our prayer, right? Mm-hmm. Even how we spend time with God, that God knows the best way for us. Um, and so, sometimes when I hear that shift, I'll invite people to to just go to God and say, "Hey, how are you inviting me to hang out with you right now?" <laughs> right? <laughs> really bringing the question. I mean, that's discernment, right? Even. Even we so often talk about discernment around our choices and our active life, you Mm -hmm. know, about what do I do? What is God calling me to? How am I going to use my gifts? But there's even a spirit of discernment that needs to come into our prayer time, right? Going to God to say, you help me decide how we're called to be together. How are you? How do you want to daily hang out? And so when we go to, we point that question to God, then the spirit just comes in and births all kind of new life.
0: Yeah. I, I love the image that you're, um, it kind of comes to my mind is, is sort of like an old married couple sitting in silence is, is like me and God in like old rocking chairs, just kind of out in the yes, porch, you know, and I, I love I, that. I, yeah. I, I would, I would, a little, little silent prayer. Wouldn't, uh would be great. <laughs> um, I wonder, so, so speaking of kind of letting things go, right. And allowing the the spirit to kind of, you know, breathe new life, breathe, breathe new creative life. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your book, but I want to talk a little bit about the process. Cause I know where this, this book came out of a, a moment of grief, right. A moment yes. of, 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 uh, I don't want—I don't want to say desolation, but but certainly a, a hard a hardship, um, not unlike one that many of us are experiencing now. So, can you talk a little bit about how um, this this beautiful book, The Inner Chapel, kind of was born out of out of a moment of grief?
1: Yes. So the the book came from my beloved granddad, who I grew up next door to. My grandparents, we we seven stepping stones apart from them growing up as kids in Louisiana. And he, um, several years ago was diagnosed with glioblastoma, which is a terminal brain cancer. And, you know, the great gift was he trusted my husband and I to be his caregivers, you know, and we were helping him. My grandmother has Alzheimer's and, um, and so basically a few days before I called him Boppy, Boppy passed away. He called me to his bedside and, and really just, he asked me to make him a promise. And the promise that he asked me to make was just to keep telling people they're not alone. Like Mm. he, he just said, make me the promise that you will not stop what you're doing, which he meant like my ministry and just kind of spreading the good news. And he said, and just let people know what we know about Jesus, right? Let people know what we know that we're not alone. And so I made him that promise, (laughs) not really having any clue in that moment that a book was going to kind of come out of this, you know? And so, so as I kind of kept, you know, he passed away in February 27th or 2018 and I just kept praying about it. And at the same time, I was doing a lot of retreat work, which is I've done for 20 years in the Ignatian tradition. And one of my friends who we co-facilitate retreats with kept telling me, she said, Becky, do you hear yourself talking about the inner chapel? And I was like, Mm. no, what are you talking about? Like, I didn't even know that phrase or that idea was like kind of part of my vocabulary. And after she asked me that, I really started hearing myself, you know, and I feel like it was really this spirit inspired idea, you know, and, in the inner chapel, you know, just so I can kind of define it for us all is Please. just what I call this sacred space within us where God resides. And because of its existence in each one of us, it ultimately means we're never alone. right? Right. We're never, we're never by ourselves because God is always with us, right? Truly Emmanuel, like God with us. And so when I thought about and kind of started having name to it, and I really think about even just journeying, you know, with my grandfather to his last breath, the inner chapel was such a huge source of my strength, right? And those moments where, you know, There were some scary moments, some really heartbreaking moments of loss or just confronting what was coming. And to know that God was always with me and at the same time, God was with him. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was like to watch him, to watch God with my grandfather being prepared to face his death was life changing to watch. I mean, I will never, Eric, I will never be the same from that journey, yeah. you know? And I, I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like that, but it no, changes you.
0: Yeah, no, not to, not to the degree. I, I mean, it was, it was very evident in, in the book that this, um, this experience, and I, I wonder if, um, you know, I, it's really this, this discovery of the inner chapel within yourself. Um, but I also, it sounds to me like the the, the kind of the, the consolation perhaps of knowing that, that there's that inner chapel and everybody else is as you're, as you're saying in that, that, that private space where only God resides and, and um, helping people kind of, kind of discover that and find that. You know, as, as people listen to this to this um, podcast, they, they probably haven't yet had the chance to, to read, but I wonder if you might talk a little bit about what the presence of the inner chapel and, and kind of the discovery of, of our inner chapel can can do to help us as we cope with changing times, dark times, um grief. You know, I, I you know I think many of us are are struggling in, in, in similar ways. So what would yeah. be your your thoughts?
1: Yeah, when I think it's first it's like really just helping or coming to an awareness that God is not just external to us, Mm. right? And I think in the Ignatian tradition, we talk about God in all things, right? And even a lot of times when we talk about God in all things, sometimes our language can be about the external God, you know, like Mm. God in the tree, God in the books, God in the movies, you know, all things that are good. And, you know, Ignatius's great gift, and I would say the mystics in general, the great gift is helping us understand God within each one of us, right? That there an that God is in our interior. And so the inner chapel is just kind of this name of our interior life with God. And, and if we really think about the history of the inner chapel, it's not new. (laughs) I mean, I get the Holy Spirit kind of gave me this little phrase about it, but you know, Going back through the scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, we see people coming to their interior space, right? That God was meeting them both within as well as without, like outside of themselves. So I think leaning on this long history, even Jesus models for us this way of coming into the interior space can give us some comfort that. It can be trusted, right? That it's here, that it's been long part of our salvation history. And then when what I have found through just, you know, over two decades of visiting my inner chapel pretty much on a regular basis daily, and all the great mentors and wisdom figures that have helped me learn how to do it is the more we come here, we start discovering what the promise is right? The promises of God, we discover things such as how beloved we are in God's eyes, right? The gift of unconditional love that no human can give us, right? We, we understand, especially in this pandemic right now, we're changed. So many things are changing. We can understand there's this one thing that's constant, right? That God is still with us, and has never stopped being with us and will continue to be with us, right? So that means that what we're facing right now gives it, we have a companion in it, right? We truly have a companion in our suffering. Um, And I mean, and I think the more, again, that we come into our interior life with God, we awaken to the gift of mercy that's available to us. And then all of this, the more we open to receive it, we open to receive the promises, right? That we're not alone, that we belong to God. We're loved. We have mercy. It's so much easier for us to share them with other people, right? We can love differently. We can show mercy out in the world differently. We can show compassion and all the things that God bears within us. We can then bring out more easily and more abundantly, I'd say, into the world.
0: Yeah. Beautiful. I, um, I, I have a, I have a, I have a process question that kind of yeah. floats from that. Um, cause you know, I think it, I always, I'm always curious about, especially spiritual writers, um, you know, and, and even people when to give talks and retreats and things, you know, uh, you have a story, you have an experience, a profound experience, um, of grief, of, of suffering, of maybe of great joy. Um, and then you perhaps go and share it. I don't say share it too soon, but, but, um, you haven't yet had the chance to, to, um, to, to, to let it sit and wrestle. And clearly here in this book, you, you have, you know, you had this profound moment and then you, um, I'm sure you, you you had a great deal of processing. And now here is this beautiful book where we're pulling all of these rich spiritual lessons from. So I wonder if, if you have any advice or thoughts or, or insights to share on, and how, what's the process from taking this very, a a very raw experience, you know, where God is very much, you know, present. Um, and then, transforming it to evolving it, whatever it is to something that then becomes not just a experience for you, but something that now is, is helpful and, and, and fruitful for others.
1: Oh yeah. (laughs) It's such a, gosh, that's, I love that question. Um, there is a great mentor of mine. Her name is Vanita Hampton-Wright. She is an, an a writer, a spiritual writer. herself. she was the editor of both my books. But I love where Vanita writes and talks about the difference between private spiritual writing and public spiritual writing, right? And her advice, like if you've ever gone and like read her book, like she has a book called The Art of Spiritual Writing. Um, she talks about there's a lot that we experience that's not for public consumption, Right, it's and even our writing sometimes. Part of writing, I think it's Flannery O'Connor that says, "You know, I write so that I can understand." Mm. Right, and I think there's a piece of, for me, even in just what I experienced with journeying with my grandfather. There's a so much writing that happened in my my journal, um, in prayer with God, talking to my own spiritual director. um, You know, when I made. My eight-day silent retreats, like all of this, gets brought in a private way to process with God. And then I love—I mean, I know I keep talking about Ignatius, but you know, this is this isn't Ignatian podcast at all. So um, (laughs) you're in good company. (laughs) Good company. But I mean, this is where I think the gifts of prayer tools, such as the Colloquy, are so Mm -hmm. helpful, right? To take what we're um, experiencing—a deep sorrow of our life. And then point it to God with a prayer tool like the colloquy and and ask Jesus, you know, what ought I do with this? Right. What ought I do for you? Right. What what am I doing for you? What have I done for you? What ought I do for you? And so that's a lot of what I think happened for me that kind of finally got to what was for public view, like what was for other people. right? Right. What what if this was just this experience of. Me personally growing in my relationship with God, me understanding in a more powerful way what it meant to live as a contemplative inaction as a caregiver. And then there's this, this, the whole, I don't don't know, it's just taking it to prayer and then God helps it come, come out for others, right? (laughs) If we keep bringing the question, right? Like what if, what if this is for other people, you know, what ought I do with what you're revealing to me?
0: Yeah, no, I, I love that. I love the answer. And I, um, it reminds me of kind of the two standards a little bit, right? Like, are yeah. we pursuing, you know, the way of pride and power and wealth and an ego or, or, or is walking the, the, the downward path of humility, which, which brings me to a, kind of the, 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 partner question to that question. Um, because you're also a spiritual director and I'm always, always wonder how do you, um, in your direction, uh, A, ensure that you're growing in your faith, but, but B, it, Make sure that you're not then imposing your your own ego, your own sense of self, onto your directee. Um, how do you how do you parse that out in your mind so that um, you know you're not necessarily giving to someone else what God has given just to you to, to ponder?
1: Yeah, it is such a delicate dance, Eric. I'm just going to be very honest, but I think from okay, first of all, how do you keep growing? How do I keep growing in my faith? I've got to be a practitioner of what I'm accompanying people in. Right. So meaning daily prayer, my, I have to keep showing up for my own monthly spiritual direction. Um, I make a eight day silent retreat. Right. To, so that I can have the gift of someone accompanying me deeper in Christ for eight days, you know, from an, another spiritual director. And then also. I think most spiritual directors are part of like a peer supervision group, right? So that you're committed with once a month with other directors, A, to keep studying together, but then also to have a space to bring up kind of some of what you're talking about, you know, like, oh man, hey, there was this moment and I was talking or listening to this person and all this other junk was going on about me and how do I sort through it, you know? Um, But in the moment, listening to the other person. I mean, I know I've talked about the Holy Spirit a lot, but the Holy Spirit is truly the one directing. And so there's a lot of calling on the Holy Spirit to help me listen. You know, um, one of my guiding things I cling to all the time as a director is, again, this comes out of straight out of the exercises, is where Ignatius tells the director, let the creator deal directly with the creature.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so there's sometimes Eric, I'm like listening to people and I'm in my head going, Becky, get out of the way, get out of the way. Don't you get in front of God here. <laughs> right, yeah. like, and sometimes it's like, Holy Spirit, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. Like I can right. feel myself trying to get in. Um, but I think again, like if we, and whether we're spiritual directors or whether we're just, whatever we're living the faith life, if we keep practicing with integrity, what we're kind of offering others, um, I think that really helps us keep our humility in check. You know, um, if we're going to God and continually in prayer, learning that, you know, there's more love for us to receive, there's more mercy that we are in need of. Um, it just, it makes it a little bit easier when we're sitting with other people to not to not get in God's way. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that makes yeah. sense, but
0: no, no, that makes, it makes great sense. I, I was on a retreat once and, um, the kind of the monk who was offering reflections in the morning always said how there was, uh, you, you know, he, he always, before he offered any thoughts, he would say something like, you know, Holy spirit, this is, this is for God's, this is you know, for God's greater glory, not for mine. And I, and you know, whenever he forgot, uh, he always made a, you know, it was always a terrible talk whenever he remembered it was, it was good. And, and I, um, That's what you're making me think of is that idea of, yeah, just a little, a little prayer to kind of make sure you're getting out of God's way.
1: Yeah. Um, Well, in in that nervousness, I mean, um, my, my husband and again, a dear friend that we do retreat work a lot. They love to say to me before, especially I'm about to give a retreat and they'll look me down in the eyes and be like, remember, it ain't about you. Right. I mean, like that is the phrase, which I know is grammatically horrible, but, (laughs) but it's, it sticks, right? It's not about us. Right. And I think um, even Ignatius's principle and foundation, like we're not promised, like if we that part of it where it's like we're not promised success or failure or sickness or health, wealth or poverty. But what we're asked to do is the thing that draws us deeper in our relationship with God. Right. And so I think moments like direction, at least in that, in that, that whole ministry for me it's always drawing me deeper because I'm having to surrender control. Like I'm having to trust God dealing with the other person, you know, or when I'm doing an Ignatian retreat, there is, there is this moment so many times like you run into um, just almost like your spiritual poverty of like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how I'm going to get these words out. I'm exhausted. I'm tired or whatever, but it's those moments maybe when our nerves really get us or where um we're thinking we can't do it it so often makes us lean towards god mm. right and then god meets us and and that is like one of the many ways i think the spirit comes in and births new life and things out of us that we could never imagine have you ever had a moment like that
0: yeah well you know i'm thinking i'm thinking of um I, I teach a, I teach a class and, um, that's not anything to do with, with spirituality or religion, but, but even that same mentality of this isn't for me, you know, this isn't, I'm not here to be, you know, the, the world's greatest showman. I'm here for these students to learn this topic. Um, and so I, I wonder if it's, you know, it's this isn't, this is isn't just a, a principle, right. That that's applied to spirituality, right. It's, right. it's, it should be across. It's, it's easiest to make the connection when we're talking about ministry and spiritual direction and spiritual writing, but, um, that, uh, kind of the um the leaning, as you're saying, it should probably play out in in most all professions. do you, do you see that too? and when I'm assuming you're directing people that aren't only in oh, yeah, in ministry?
1: yeah, well, and I think you're right because it does. it's like one of the ways our ego and our pride can be checked, you know, is that when we stand truly before the power of God, like when we really realize, you know how, I don't know. I don't want to say how small cuz I don't think God views us as small, but we can feel like we're so tiny in the scheme of the world. But when we do that, it, it does it it checks our ego a little bit, right? When we stand in awe of God the creator and whether that is about um you know, I mean, I think of the times I stand in awe of God, like I mean, you're you dad, I'm a mom, like I mean, watching the creation of children, right? Just in their development. And so it's things like that or watching other people just live what they're supposed to do. Um, you, you see that, I mean, you just see how God uses all things, right? Um, I think about my youngest daughters and she just finished kindergarten and her kindergarten teacher, she is this woman that it was she is just made to be a teacher, right? It just oozes out of her and she's just got this joy and this passion and you can just see that it's not about her, right? It's about, it's about something bigger than her, you know, in this, in this school setting. Um, It's about the kids. It's, um, but I think part of it is she has this beautiful humility. Like she has a real sense of who she is. Um, in her tiny role or which some people may say is a tiny role, but it's really not in these kids' lives. Um, yeah, really beautiful.
0: I, I think it also, I, I think this, this, disposition, right. Um, and again, in any, in any field, any profession makes you more empathetic too. It makes you yes. more able to respond in the moment to the needs of the people that are receiving your, your words or your presentation, your PowerPoint, whatever, whatever it might be. Um, and ultimately probably be more, more effective. Um, I would, so speaking of empathy, I'll say one, one chapter here that really struck me was, um, your chapter on rest, And, um, <laughs> and I, uh, and I was, I was thinking, boy, oh boy, I'd, I'd love a little bit of rest myself, but, um, and, and I, and I'm kind of thinking in this moment, how, how do we apply that idea of, of restfulness to this time of pandemic because um uh you know I think there are some of us who who feel more strapped than ever as we're trying to homeschool and 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 work and you know all these things. Um I think there's others of us who are probably feeling very isolated and, and like we have too much yeah. time and and our you know our spaces like you said that used to be so comfy and cozy and private might feel kind of like a uh like a you know a desert island a little bit. So what how do you how do you recommend people kind of take that, that advice of, of restfulness and, and mindfulness that, you know, you know, consolation can teeter into desolation and, 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 spiral out of control, um, in this, in this moment, in this, in this, this current
1: reality. In this moment. Yeah. I always in general in life, but especially during this pandemic, I would offer us first to check our tiredness, right. Um, and I think just a little note, I think there's a difference between, physical tiredness, mental tiredness, and desolation. And they can easily feed, they feed off, like they can, you know, they can make a snowball run down a mountain into an avalanche of desolation. But the way I want to offer it or frame it for people in that this is just kind of a, is when I direct people on an eight day silent retreat, right? People come in, their life has come to a screeching halt and, it takes people about three days before they can actually really enter the retreat, right? Because often they're coming in and they're just physically and mentally tired from life. And so I think applying that to this season that we're in with the pandemic is, number one is for us to be real gentle and very honest about what we're all holding. And when you think about just the uncertainties that we're all holding, Um, there was this webinar I attended that was talking about there are eight things that we are globally in holding right now. That is uncertainty. And when we have something that threatens our sense of certainty, it really starts messing with our minds and our bodies, right? It, It pulls our threat level up, right? So just to offer that and think about these eight things, right, there's concern about our own health, our loved ones' health, our colleagues' health. There is the financial worry that we're individually holding, that, again, we're holding for loved ones, we're holding for the economy. There's just this global sense of suffering that is in the back of all our minds. And then the eighth one they talked about is just the uncertainty of when it will all end. And so I think, number one, just for for all of us to, to really acknowledge This is, these things are in the backdrop of our minds constantly, right? Probably mentally wearing us, um, the physical change of having to pivot our lives to um, all digital, you know, or whatever is happening in our homes, whether we're pivoting to a more isolating sense of living, or it's like a more full house, (laughs) whatever it is. So number one, I would just invite us to be real right? To, to acknowledge that we probably are mentally tired and we're physically tired. And so in terms of rest, the first thing I'm offering all of us, myself included, is to, to literally sleep, right? To give ourselves permission to take a nap, to go to bed early, um, to sleep in 30 minutes past, if we can, you know, maybe um, because we are physically and emotionally tired, right? Mentally tired. And then taking the reel of our naming, and again, I know we keep talking about it, but bringing it to God, right? And I would offer the examine, right? So that we can have God help us pray through all that we're feeling, all we're facing, all that we're holding. Um, I think the, the examine is so powerful right now because it can help us see the gifts where we're experiencing consolation, help us really name our points that could pull us into desolation. Um, and then the, the other thing that I find so helpful, again, I know we talked about a few minutes ago is the colloquy, right? And, and specifically, I love the triple colloquy. In a time like the pandemic (laughs) um, or grief, I mean, it's one that I can say, you know, walking grief after losing my granddad, but it's to bring the grief we're feeling, the fear, the worry, the anxiety, and bring it to Mary. Let Mary meet us in it and, you know, we can talk to her about it, ask her to bring that then to her son and then before God, right? And again, each time with that question of, what ought I do? Right. What do I do with this grief? What do I do with this tiredness? What do I do with um, this loved one that is sick? Right. Or a colleague that I know has lost his job or her job, you know? So I think there are ways that we can just allow ourselves to physically rest. And then from a spiritual standpoint is to let God meet us in what we're and what we're holding and what we're yeah. facing.
0: Yeah, no, I, that's great advice and and I I'm wondering now on the cuz the flip side of that, you know, as we as we rest, I think we find in moments of, of grief or hardship um, kind of the, the the seeds of creativity uh and not everybody yeah. is going to leave this moment having written a book or started a soup right. kitchen or you know run for public office or anything like that but but i wonder um how how do you advise people to uh kind of be mindful of of where kind of sparks of creativity might be um, bursting through how do we respond what do we do with them
1: yeah yes well when we see them i mean it's it's like jot them down, <laughs> you know. When we, it's like if there's an idea or if there's, um, we feel something kind of welling with us within us within prayer. Right? Again, it's to thank God for that grace. I mean, grace is truly just God's revelation to us individually, you know. And so when we get little spirit inspired um, moments, it's number one, thank God for them, and then to keep going and bringing them back to God, right? And when I say bring them back to God, it's taking them back into prayer and asking God, what's this about? You know, what do I do with this? Um, what are you calling me to? And, and, you know, and our prayer isn't only about our spiritual life with God. It's about our work. It's about our finances. It's about, um, I mean, I'll give you a very real example from my life. We have five people in our house. Um, my husband just found out that he his company is not bringing people ever back into a building. We just found this out four or five days ago. And so we have been... Together, I mean, it's like he and I are having conversations like, what do we do? But I mean, I'm going to God with like, we have a huge, we have five people in this house, like all kids are home. Like, where's, where's Chris going to work? Where am I going to, you know? <laughs> so I, I don't want us to think that it's only about our relationship with God. Um, that but God wants to be part of in helping us sort through things that impact our day to day life. You know, um, and so like the clarity I got after we Chris and I kept talking about it, bringing it to both of us, bringing it to God in prayer. It's like we figured out, okay, we were sitting on the swing on Saturday morning and it was like, oh, this is where he can set up his home office. You know, it was this out of this blue inspiration, which seems so insignificant in this time, but it set it sets him up to do the work he's called to in our home. It allows the kids to still do the school that they need to do. It allows me to do the work. So we get these little nuggets of inspiration um, that I think are spirit inspired that come from, you know, our conversations with each other because God uses people. God uses all the things, um, including our prayer to help us come to find our way.
0: Yeah, beautiful. Last last question. Um, what's bringing you hope these days? Where are you finding hope?
1: Where am I finding hope? Um, I always find hope in knowing I'm not alone. Right, mm. that none of us are alone. Um, outside, I know I talked about it even with my shift in my prayer place, but just watching spring come into fruition in Louisiana in this time of pandemic has been a great re- visual reminder of what comes after winter you know, what comes Mm -hmm. after fall and a season of harvest. Um, And then Eric, I'm real inspired and hopeful by just watching people's resilience, right? The resilience of my kids, right? To watch them shift, you know, at seventh grade, fifth grade and kindergarten from in-person school to online and just to watch them and their teachers and their classmates And families, um, I just feel hopeful in the resilience that I see in people in general, right? Um, That people have pivoted their entire lives overnight. And I know it's hard. I'm not trying to like downplay it or sugarcoat it. Like I know there's been hard, bumpy roads. There's been hard roads in our own house, (laughs) making the pivot, um, tears, frustrations, all kind of things. But there is a resilience here that's really keeping me hopeful that we're going to be okay. Right. Yeah. What Beautiful, about yeah. you? What, what would you say is keeping you hopeful? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah, no,
0: that's great. Um, I mean, I, as, as, as you know, I, you know, we're expecting a baby any, any minute. So Yay. that's, that's my primary source of hope, uh, and inspiration. But, um, but I, I, uh, I like, I like what you said the resilience of people and what I'm hearing there is, is kind of God's creation, right? God's people and God's God's world. Um, you know, the birds uh, seem louder now. I don't know if that's, (laughs) if that's, if that's actually true. Um, But, you know, I go for my, my runs and I, I, you know, I feel like nature becomes more and more um, palpable as, as, uh, as, as spring hits, but also as kind of, there's that, that sense of, of things aren't as, as, touched anymore or, or, you know, the the deer are roaming. And, um, and I live in a city, so deer, deer on the loose is, is not a common thing. yeah. But, um, yeah,
1: you
0: know, and I think also one thing that is bringing me hope, um, is, uh, just the, you know, the world is full of creative people. And I, and I, seeing what's going to happen, how we're going to rebuild after this, you know, the, the opportunity, Also, the opportunity to rebuild and to reorder relationships, um, uh, and, and bring about hopefully a more just, uh, society. I, I think we have a real opportunity and I, um, I'm hopeful to, to, to see that and hopeful to play a role in it and hopeful that, you know, everyone listening will also kind of think this is, this isn't an opportunity, this isn't a time to just kind of, you know, you know, click the back to, you know, reset button, go back to normal, but, but really to build something new and, uh, and creative, um, and and hopefully more reflective of of how God desires uh, God's world to be.
1: Yeah. When I love you said just because I keep thinking to more compassionate, Mm. Um, you know, I feel I keep hoping even just in our church, right? Like where Christian faith that we are more mindful of people on the peripheries. Right. And that we're more, you know, I mean, even just the whole shift in what's happened with, um, you know, the not being able to gather physically for mass or, you know, services that. We are more willing to think creatively about how to get to people, right? I mean, one thing that, I mean, just, I mean, the elderly are always on my heart, for instance, but mm-hmm. it's like just to have been in solidarity of what it's like to attend Mass, how they often, you know, so often homebound, yeah. always attend Mass, you know, um, or to just think about what a, you know, I feel like this time has really stripped us down in one sense to, Come back to the core of the gospel message. You know, like what is the good news that people really need to hear? And I feel like it's not just during a pandemic, right? I think there's a a deep longing people have, and so my hope too is that we we come back and there's. I do believe the Spirit is innovating and inspiring creative ways to make the gospel message come alive and come to people in a new, in new ways that we, we haven't seen before, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, you don't necessarily look through scripture or look through the tradition and say, Oh, this is the one way God this has is always it. gone yeah. to God's people. But this <laughs> is it. Like, no, it's, it's constantly evolving. And again, I think it's a great point. This is a moment to, um, respond and to, and, and to, um, just, I think, I mean, one of the things that just comes to me is that that recognition of God in all places, you know, certainly, um, you know, we all miss going to mass and and all that that is, but also a challenge to say, oh, well now church is happening in my living room, you know? So what is, what does that look like? And, and yeah,
1: what does it look like in the Ignatian world, right? For all the Ignatian listeners out there, I keep saying, I want to call us all out of hiding, right? We, I think in general, because we often know the contemplative way right? We know the contemplative way of prayer, and we know the contemplative way to discern. Mm. I think we have the tools that the world is asking for right now. I really believe that, right? We know how to discern the spirits. We know how to pay attention to where god is calling us anew um how to follow kind of the crumbs that the spirit leaves for us <laughs> to help yeah. us know our next steps and so i really i mean i one of my hope and prayers is that this calls us all forward right that we can help people learn how to pray in new ways right come to know god in the interior in new ways and also help people have the tools to, to discern their way forward because we've got this awesome wisdom, 500-year-old wisdom that we can lean on that I think can help guide us, right, and not make us feel so alone even in the uncertainty of what we're all holding.
0: Yeah, I think it's a wonderful challenge uh, to leave listeners with as uh, as they go about their days. You know, how how can their Ignatian spirituality, their their prayer life uh, really um, call them to action in this in this moment? So, Becky, thank you so much for joining us and uh, stay safe.
1: Thank you, Eric.
0: AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C., the show is edited by Marcus Bleach, and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference Communications team is Mike Jordan-Lasky, Marcus Bleach, Doris Sump, Megan Leapsch, Becky Sindelar, and me, Eric Clayton. Connect with the Jesuits online at jesuits.org, on Twitter at @jesuitnews, Jesuit News, Instagram at WeAreTheJesuits, and Facebook via facebook.com backslash Jesuits. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with a Jesuit vocation promoter at beajesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire.